want a king and we want him now. We want a king and we want him now. We want a king. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's uh, time for some discourse of the civil kind. The civil of the unsafe kind, I think. Uh, right, right. Definitely not a safe space. So I, I, I am Mike Koniger, and I'm so thrilled that you're here with us again. And I am joined by my uh, wonderful co-host or host, uh, Charles Frederick Secrees. So say hello, Charles. Uh, say hello, Charles. It's good to uh, be here with you, Mr. Mike, and or Dr. Mike. Dr. Mike, I like that. It sounds like a soda pop. It does. <laughs> Dr. Mike. It probably goes up your nose, though, at most inopportune times. So. That sounds like another episode right there for us. Um, there we go. Hey, I hear you have no home training. Well, honestly, I think uh, I think nobody has any home training anymore. I don't know. Back to being curmudgeons, are we? I, I'll tell you, it's it's so I'm in New York uh, week week before last and I'm sitting down with my wife and my son. And we're in this nice Italian restaurant. Alexander, my son's name, he has said he wants some spaghetti and meatballs. Mm, so good choice. my wife, Erin, says, I know the perfect place in our neighborhood. Let's uh, let's let's go sit there. We get there. It's lovely. There's some outdoor seating with, you know, how New York has everything on the streets and tents now and everything. Right, right. And we sit down to eat. And as we're sitting down, at, first of all, I should say, before we even sat down, we're looking at the available tables and we're noticing there's a family with some children over here and some family with some children in the middle of the row and some family down at the other end with children. And it says something to me that my hesitation immediately kicked in to say, I don't want to sit next to any, any of these families that have two or three kids in them. My, my gut, even as a young parent, says, ugh, that should say something right there. But there was an open table. We took it. We were between two families, but one of them looked like they were getting ready to head out. And uh, the short version of this story is through the course of the, I don't know, hour we were sitting there, um, one family got up to leave, took them about 30 minutes to do it with... Jumping, screaming, throwing, hollering, and so forth coming from the kids. Uh, the ta a new table sat down and jumping, screaming, throwing, hollering. Uh, all of this was the perfect display that would have gotten me sent to the car or something like this in my youth. Um, and I'm sitting there looking at my eight-year-old who is eating his food and talking to us politely and holding his fork and knife and acquiring, you know, requiring a momentary correction from, from time to time, but uh, generally doing what we've trained him to do when we sit and eat at a table, especially in public. And he's watching these other kids, and I'm feeling terrible for my son, who's having to comport himself like a young gentleman, and watching these other kids around us just act an absolute fool. Um, and I'm thinking, what the hell? <laughs> Well, now, first off, I do need to interject and, and say you're not exaggerating. I have met you many. We've had many meals together, uh, and and some of it just the three the three men, you know, the two husbands and Alexander. Yeah. Uh, oftentimes, the whole family groups are going out. And in fact, you guys once met me in the city in Manhattan for dinner when I was teaching before the pandemic, mm -hmm. and uh, we had a, a lovely meal at a very busy restaurant. So there's no exaggeration. Your son knows how to behave in public. Occasionally, he does have to be reminded to use his napkin or or switch hands or whatever the case or may be. Or he's a little too loud or, right, you know, right. sit up properly. But here's the thing. A, he's a kid. 
his job, as far as I'm concerned, is to screw up. That's a, that's a child's job. I'm okay with that. My job as a parent is to set him straight. And it doesn't mean that he's got to be a perfect angel. It doesn't mean that he has to be, we have to have unreasonable expectations. But if you are disturbing the people around you because you're throwing food and hollering and kicking and knocking over the chair and all this other stuff, how do you as a parent just sit there in the restaurant and let that happen? Without a, like not a single look of disapproval. And... I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm. Well, I, I again, we can't be curmudgeons. And, and I think I've shared before that my wife and I are foster parents to a one-year-old boy. And uh, I, when we go to church and he starts to, and, and, you know, I don't expect perfect behavior at church, you know, it, it's quiet and his echo of his voice is really cool. I'm sure for a one-year-old, but well, when he starts to create a ruckus, we go outside uh, the sanctuary and, and, you know, they pipe the sound out there so you can hear just fine. And, and I sit out there with him until he calms back down and, and, you know, Megan and I switch off, you know, I'll take him this time. She takes him next time. And, and generally we get to each here, you know, half of mass. So, yeah. it's, uh, but again, it's, it, you go to church. It's like when you go to dine, you go for a reason. You, you go for the, the fellowship, you go to, to talk and it, exchange ideas, not play on your cell phone, by the way, but that's another episode. Mm -hmm. um, no, that was last and, week's episode. That's true. <laughs> but you go and, and you're modeling these behaviors for young people. And, and when you go to church, you, I, at least when I go to church, uh, I go for some introspection and some for, for some quiet time. And I don't want to disturb all those folks around me. And yes, I get that, that he's God's child too. I'm not saying that you don't take your kiddos into church. And I'll tolerate some noise, but when he starts to get to disturb everyone around me, we're going to step out for a little while and let him calm down. Well, and so, all right, first of all, let's talk about taking your kid out of the room. Fits can be thrown. I mean, look, children are children. This is what we do. We've all done it. That's There's no sin there. Um, but there, there, I'm thinking of maybe three uh, spaces that it's not reasonable to take your child out of the room, an airplane, right. a, a submarine, right. and maybe a moving bus and all, that, that you're not driving right. and all other circumstances. Cause even in your own car, if there's that big of an issue, you pull that car over and you have a conversation. I'm sure it's happened to you when you were a kid. <laughs> You talk about pulling over. Make me come back there. You talk about pulling over. That's true. That's true. But nowadays we might frown on the making me come back there while I'm actually driving. Um, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> but you know, I, I've had people say, and I'm look. I'm not trying to toot my own horn, horn here as a parent. I've made plenty of mistakes, um, and I'm going to make plenty more. But I love when people come up and they, oh, your child is so well behaved, and what an amazing blah 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 blah. No, he's not. There ain't nothing amazing about that child. He is. He would challenge the the patience of Job just like anybody else. The difference is we've told him that's not okay. <laughs> and, and again, full disclosure, I have seen him uh, challenge the patience of Job, uh, and he's a wonderful little guy. But yes, he is age appropriate, and and occasionally uh, does inappropriate things and and has to be corrected and. Uh, the nice thing about your child is that he knows correction comes from a place of love. 
though he may not know it in the moment. Well, it's true. Every time we beat him, we do give him a hug afterwards, just so, you know, it balances out. Somebody's going to be called CPS. I'm going to have two foster kids. No, thank you. (laughs) So you don't beat him. But when you do correct him, he he knows at the end that you're going to give him a hug and he's going to move on. And and by the way, he's, we're not talking about a a soft relationship here. Uh, There are standards that this young man is expected to adhere to, and he does adhere to them. Uh, I will. T- I would take your son to the theater and never once worry about it. And I mean that in all sincerity. Well, in part, and you know, you, you bring up two interesting points. So I, I actually said the word beat on purpose because I want to transition into that. And and I think there is a conversation to have about the difference between discipline and punishment. Right. And what those are two very different things that have obviously different connotations depending on uh, the, the person giving and the person receiving and also the place in life because discipline, as far as I'm concerned and punishment really is something that takes different forms throughout our entire lives. Um, and there's self-discipline, there's imposed discipline. Um, I guess for some people there's self-punishment too and imposed punishment. Um, and, and we learn the uh, consequences of choice, or we're supposed to learn the consequences, at least, of choices that we make and mistakes that we make and and good things that we do as well, you know, early on so that we have a framework with which to put our adult, our young adult and our older adult uh, life and, and choices into, you know, order, right? Well, I, I, I'm a big believer in self-discipline and it is the way I overcame a lot of challenges in my life. Uh, I, I, I've learned, you know, that the regret you have after you do stupid stuff uh, is not worth the outbursts that will come flying out of your mouth. And, and oftentimes I use self-discipline to prevent myself from regretting things later. Uh, additionally, you know, if it were up to me, I would truly, you know, I joke all the time about sitting around eating bonbons and, uh, having a lovely time, but I, I'm by nature lazy and want to eat bonbons and watch the idiot box. And most of, of us are. And then because of self-discipline, I don't do those things because A, I'd probably weigh way more than I do now. And, and B, I would have no money. So, uh, <laughs> and probably have no friends because I probably wouldn't bathe either, but that's another, that's another topic for another time. But you're talking uh, about adult responsibility and the discipline that you impose upon yourself to maintain your, your upkeep of those responsibilities to yourself and to others. But I would, I would hazard to guess that you didn't come out the womb with that discipline. It's, it's lessons my parents taught me Mm -hmm. and not just taught. It was modeled. It was modeled. I saw my dad who was a blue collar guy go to school every night when I'm sure he would have much rather had a beer and sat on the back deck and watched the birds in the trees uh, than, than go to school. But every night he'd come home, he'd go into his living room, he'd study, or he'd have supper, turn around, go back out to class. Cause this was, this was long before the internet. So, you know, you had to go to an actual school to attend school. And, and you know, he did this for years where he took one and two classes a semester until he graduated. And so it was not only taught to me, it was modeled for me. And I think when we talk about children specifically, we have to model proper behavior because I've seen lots of adults who don't behave well in restaurants as well. 
Well, there's Let's a phrase. Down. There's a phrase. They didn't get it from the neighbors. No. And no. and and the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Well, I mean, there's a reason those phrases exist. It you are seen in many cases. Now, it's we should also say, and you know, we can come back to this later. But there's also a lot of cultural implication here too. The Japanese, for example, are often considered extremely relaxed when it comes to young children. I mean, there's almost a free-for-all that tends to happen, um, at least by foreign observation. I mean, there may be more nuance there when you know the culture better than I do. But I have frequently heard it referred to and, and witnessed it myself that young kids are given a very wide latitude in that culture. But then at a certain age and a certain point in their development, the axe comes down and it comes down hard. And you find, you know, the the discipline and expectation put on young adults or or older children. I'm not sure where the crossover is. Uh, can become extremely severe, and the pressure becomes extremely heavy. Um, and that's an interesting thing because, in my mind, and in the culture of my upbringing, talk about being set up for failure, right? You know, you're you're totally. We in fact we say it all the time in our in our own. You can't. Let someone just run completely free reign, and then when they turn sixteen, expect to come down and be now a parent after you've been a friend all the, for for sixteen years prior, right? That doesn't right. make sense. Right. Oh no, I did the same. I must have done the same research you did, and I think the magic age, if I remember correctly, and I may be wrong, is four. So in Japanese culture, once you turn four, is that what it is? Okay. Yeah, the expectations change. I think it's four or three, and so you'll see a seven-year-old uh, Japanese kid. It, and you'll see it if you watch some of the movies, uh, you'll see it reflected in the movies where the seven-year-old is sent to the store to buy an ingredient for supper tonight. And there's no adult escorting the seven-year-old to the store. And he or she walks to the store, the market, they they give the money to the person at the counter, they walk home and, and, and off you go. And so, uh, you know, and, and we, we in America call that free range parenting, by the way, which is another topic. But I find that very intriguing that the child is allowed to basically express him or herself in less than stellar ways until until a certain age. And then there's an expectation that the switch comes on and, and the discipline starts coming out. And it's hard for me to imagine, you know, I'll, I'll call my ignorance here. It is hard for me to imagine that, that you've been allowed to just run wild for four years, five years, whatever it is. And then all of a sudden, wham perfect behavior. If it works, great. I, I'm not here to criticize. I'm just really profoundly amazed that that system seems to to work for them. I don't see that working in our culture. Uh, I, I've never seen that working in our culture. Um, and, you know, I've, I've been a part of this culture for, you know, over 40 years, you a little bit longer than me. Have you witnessed anything that can work like that here? No, no. But but I think the difference is that this is a societal norm in Japan. And so uh, as a child of three, I see five-year-olds behaving much differently. Uh, it's, it's I think it's very similar to our expectation that at 16, we get to start driving a car. Mm. And, and so, you know, it's something that's expected. So the behavior changes. Uh, of course, here, because we are a melting pot of cultures, then we as parents have to pick the behavior that we want in our home. And it, I, I think part of the issue here is, and, and I, I don't mean to derail us too much, but if you 
grow up eating in front of the television, when you go to a restaurant, do you know how to behave? Well, you, you, you just circled back nicely to point two, which I, which you brought up before, which I want to talk about, which is the, uh, you mentioned you would be perfectly fine bringing my son to the theater anytime. Of course. And we're talking theater with human beings on a stage, actually, I, you know, presenting themselves, not no, a screen. I'm at, I'm at Broadway. Yeah. <laughs> so. Which, by the way, he's been. But this is exactly my point. Uh, there is a certain idea amongst uh, parents, some parents, uh, not all, of course, that you should completely shelter a child up until a certain point, that they should be kept at home. You don't take them out. You don't do like they don't go in public and, and have any kind of public demands put on them at all until they are a certain age. And I think that's very, that's interesting. That is really interesting. And when I say interesting, I am judging. <laughs> <laughs> no, not you. It, it's it, it is interesting because we can't expect that they should know how to behave if they've never absolutely there's a training process that comes through experience and yes it may require you know a, a, a strong disciplinary tone from time to time it may require you taking the child out of the restaurant into the parking lot to have a word with and calm down it may require all kinds of things but if you're willing to do that it is much better to have the child engaged in my humble opinion uh, from the get-go I mean you may recall and and I'm sure people still this to this day would think we were absolutely nuts my son went to the restaurant with us within the first week why wouldn't he he was and 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 I should say my my kid was born in Europe where both attitudes of children and animals is a little different so our dog went with us to the restaurants too and we're talking nice restaurants and we would walk right. I also had an exceptional dog at the time. This was Misha. But we'll talk about animals in another episode. But Misha was an extraordinary animal. Um, and we could walk unleashed with the child in the stroller right into this five-star restaurant, uh, be seated at the table. And we would put Alexander under the table on the floor in his carry whatever with the dog. And he would sleep the entire uh, meal. The dog would sleep right next to him the entire meal. And at the end of the, the thing, people didn't even know they were under there. We pull out these a kid and a dog out from the table like we're magic people. And, and it was never an issue. He was constantly engaged in our lives as adults. And we just simply adjusted what we needed to to accommodate our child's need. And, you know, whether that was behaviorally or feeding or changing or whatever it was. And we've stayed with that for he's eight years old. We have never left him at home, um, at, at least because we didn't think it was a child appropriate activity. We've left him at home when there were other reasons that, you know, we, we weren't going to bring him. But he's grown up knowing how to be quiet, sit still, use your knife and fork. There's indoor and outdoor voices. There's times to be completely quiet because the adults are talking right now. And if you want to speak, you say, excuse me, and you wait. He needs a reminding on that from time to time. But, you know, these aren't foreign concepts. They're not some amazing thing that, you know, I don't I don't get it when I'm sitting there being yelled at in the ear by the kid behind me who's kicking my chair. And the parent is totally oblivious or aware and doesn't care. And, and am I frustrated? Yes, 
I'm going to have a drink now. You talk. <laughs> well, I, 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 again, I've taken your son to, to supper, uh, just the two of us, uh, Uncle Mike time. And uh, he behaves exactly the same way when you're not around. So, so he does know how to behave. Uh, now, I'm a bit of, of a disciplinarian myself. So well, maybe- I was just going to say, I was just going <laughs> to say, I also know that when I let him go with someone else, the someone else being someone like you, that if he steps out of line, I can count on you to be the adult in the room. Of course. But generally, as a rule, he knows how to behave and he knows the expectation and he knows that Uncle Mike is not going to let him act a fool. And so he acts accordingly. And uh, he and I have had wonderful conversations. And I know people are going to doubt that. But I have had wonderful conversations with Alexander as young as five or five years old, having supper with him. And we we have a grand time. And he, he does not merit much correction. The only thing I've ever talked to him about, it, and I don't blame him, are these restaurants that put televisions on the wall. And, yeah. and so, you know, his eyes are like magnets, boom, to the top. Alexander, you're here to talk to Uncle Mike. And, and I mean, uh, who amongst <laughs> us wouldn't be that way? Right. You know, it's it's a shiny, flashy thing up on the wall. <laughs> and, and it's age appropriate. Again, it's age appropriate. I don't get upset about that. I'm just, no. Alexander, Uncle Mike's here to talk to you. If you want to watch television, we can go home. And, and he, he corrects. He self-corrects. Yeah. But... I think it's about expectation. And and this goes to even in dealing with this one-year-old we have in the house. He doesn't have to eat what we put in front of him, but we're not given alternatives. It's, it's, you know. Oh yeah. This, this isn't an a la carte restaurant. You you eat the food we put in front of you. And, and and if you don't want to eat it, it, that's fine. You know, I grew up in a house where I was expected to try everything. If I chose not to like it, there was no alternative. And, And so I didn't eat beets by the way. And so I didn't need a beat till I was probably 40 years old and then found out they were really cool and wish I hadn't missed out on them. But that's another story for another time. But, but seriously, I mean, I, I think, um, I don't think kids should be rigid, but I don't think we should spoil them rotten either. And so I guess the question I have is, uh, first off, did we, did we define how we felt about discipline versus punishment? No. So, I mean, one th- let's get back to that, but real quickly to, to what you just said, I, th- I think people forget, and I am speaking very judgy today, but I guess I'm in that mood. It's not a safe space. What can I say? Um, there is more freedom to be found in a child who knows his discipline or her discipline than one can have in a child who doesn't understand boundaries. I can leave my kid in the house without worrying about him cutting his fingers off because he knows not to touch the knives or play with the fire or this, that, and the other. So all of a sudden, he has the privilege of being treated with a certain amount of freedom that I would not be able to do with a lot of other kids I know who have unlimited access to everything and who are a danger to themselves and others. There is freedom to be found in discipline and in limitations. Am I wrong there? No, I think, I think you're absolutely right. And it also empowers him. Absolutely. He can turn to you and say, dad, can we go to Manhattan? And by the way, I've heard him say this. So I'm not, dad, can we go to Manhattan today? 
And what do you want to do? And, and now we have a conversation. What do you want to do? Well, I'd like to go to that store. I saw this. Uh, he loves the uh, Harry Potter store. Right. And, and, and literally this week, he he asked me, he said, Dad, can we go to the Harry Potter store this weekend? Uh, they had a wand. I want to see if I can get the or if they have the Elder Wand. And I'd be reminded what the Elder Wand was. But, you know, I'm excited for the young man that my kid's going to grow up into because I am looking forward to being being able to put parent aside a little bit and become more and more of a friend as I can feel comfortable letting the parenting duties, which will always be there, but letting them now start to set aside a little bit because this responsible young man that I hope he continues to grow into is showing himself to be someone that I can actually, here's a word I'm going to get judged on, like. But you do like your kid and I like your kid. But you and know those kids we don't like very much, right? Right. <laughs> you know, you know and, and I'll tell you a story and I'll tell you the fruit of it. The fruit of all your hard work comes. And I just had this conversation two, three hours ago. My son, who's an adult, called me and said, Dad, I just need to vent. Would you mind just listening for 15 minutes? Mm -hmm. I said, sure, go. And he vented. He had a, a serious issue that he he had to get off of his chest. And he didn't want any opinion. He just wanted me to listen, which I was more than happy to do. And at the conclusion of that, that rant, as he calls it, I'm going to have a rant, Dad. Um, we then talked about other things. And, and, you know, you and I share similar interests with him in cars and motorcycles. So mm -hmm. we ended up talking about classic vehicles for a little while. And, and, and I have that kind of conversation with my son every day, almost, almost every day. He'll, and you've been on trips with me and seen me take a phone call from mm -hmm. him. So, you know, I'm not making this up. I mean, my sons and I are very close and I was not a permissive parent. <laughs> I was not a permissive parent. And I do like both my sons and I like spending time with them. I like talking to them on the phone. I have a son who lives in the UK right now. I, I, I love our conversations. I love talking to him. And I truly enjoy the company of my, of my boys. And I truly enjoy the company of your son. You know, he stayed here. We've had him, I think, for as long as three, four weeks. I think at some times we were and, in and Europe for a, an extended right, stay right. at one point. You guys, uh, right. and he actually and wanted to go spend. We gave him the choice, I think. And he wanted to come see his. He calls my wife Mimi, so he wanted to stay with his aunt, and and, and so he hung. He and Mimi hung out and and had. And my wife's a teacher, so she was off in that summer summer break, so they got to spend a lot of time together, but. He, he really, this is his second home and I love having him here and, and I always enjoy his company. And it's because I don't have to worry about him going in the kitchen and pulling a sharp knife out and doing some fool thing with a knife or uh, torturing a dog or, or lighting the house on fire. I, I know with your son, there's a certain level of freedom I can allow him. Mm -hmm. and, and, and now to be fair, I do have to occasionally say, okay, Alexander, it's been longer than a half hour on the television. I said, you had three episodes. You're on episode four, aren't you? Yes, Uncle Mike. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, know? like I said, he's not a saint. He's still a no. kid. <laughs> no. But he, he he generally knows when I look at him and I say, Alexander, he says, okay, I'm sorry, Uncle Mike. And off we go. You know, it's, it's so I, I, and by, by the way, there is no such thing as a perfect parent. None of us are. 
I, I think we we all struggle with it. Speak for uh, yourself. Oh, trust me. <laughs> you know, I, I've, we all, I've gone on Keith a lot is pointing of at himself right here. He said, well, I don't know about y'all, but I'm just fine. You know? oh, I'm sure he I is. have a halo over my head. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm an angel. He's our producer extraordinary, uh, extraordinary by the way. Thank I, you again, Actually, Keith. Charles, something you said reminded me about something my father said when I was younger. Mm-hmm. You don't childproof a house you houseproof the no no you don't house yeah you don't childproof Child the house you houseproof the child i love it absolutely you teach them how to interact with their surroundings don't don't buffer them and protect everything from them because they'll never learn anything well you, you can't you, rubble you can't wrap them in a bubble wrap no no you and you can't put all your nice things away because you have a kid all of a sudden no no i uh it's funny um the house i grew up in and mike you've seen the house i grew up in I have um if and and it's interesting because you're fostering a child right now, and my parents were foster parents, and if my parents, who were long out of that game, but anyone living in that house today, who was trying to foster, the people would come do the home study, and they would say, "Thank you for your interest. Have a nice day," and they would walk, <laughs> turn around, and get in their car, and drive away. Well, to be fair, they they had a little bit of a lake out back with no fence between the house and the lake. There was no lake and no fence because you know what you did? You said if it was a baby, you didn't leave them running around crazy. And if there was, uh, in my case, there was a a very clear point that you did not go beyond. And the first time you went beyond it, you were given very good cause to never go beyond it again. (laughs) And... There were oh, there was open fireplace and wood stove that yeah they got hot. Uh, don't go near it. There was no putting a five foot or six foot partition around it to make sure the child could not you know go but so close. There were stairs that didn't have you know multiple railings and this that and the other. You don't play on the stairs. You don't climb on the furniture. You you, you the cabinet doors were not locked with baby proof things. You don't. That's not a play area. And when you're a baby, then yes, it's incumbent upon the parent to make an actual barrier that there are things you can't expect a, 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 an under one year old to, to know these things. I see the dog uh, uh, agrees with me on that. I don't know. That sounds like a disagreement. <laughs> Sorry about that. I muted. Don't worry about it. We, we enjoy all sorts of commentary. It's not a safe space, right? Um. And every once in a while, as a child, I would step across that line because I wasn't perfect either. Pretty darn close, but, you know, <laughs> and <laughs> sorry, sorry, I better mute. I'm laughing out loud. Yeah, no, yeah. Inside laugh, right? Uh, <laughs> but my parents made it very clear that these were the rules. You break them, there will be consequences. And you learned and, and, and you grew and you, somehow we survived as a species. Now, and you just did a home study, and we did too, when my wife and I were looking into doing some foster care. We had to barricade the the wood stoves and fireplaces. We had to put bars on our windows. We had to, I mean, the, the list of things we had to do to reconstruct our house to make a child safe to be in the eyes of the law was insane, in my humble opinion. Not, not the same here. 
I have a fireplace. We didn't even discuss that. I should that. say I this is have... about the st- the states individually right, right, regulate right. this. So we're here up in Connecticut. It's a little different than Virginia for those who may not be aware of that. Right. But but to be fair, uh, you know, I do have a baby gate at the top of the stairs because I have this house was built in 79. These are not stairs. You're going to survive a fall down mm-hmm. at, at the age of one. <laughs> I know. At the age of 40, I'm not sure it would be something. <laughs> no, <laughs> actually. <laughs> From a involuntary research, my children disprove that theory because they've both fell down the stairs and they were fine afterwards. Except for that little tick that one of them has, I think. <laughs> well, I mean, the good news is, you know, obviously it's traumatic for them, but if you think about it, babies are actually designed to fall. They are. Yes. Yeah, they are. They're, they're, they're soft. They're 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 going to handle pliable. a tumble down the stairs a lot better than we are. We're not saying you should throw yeah, your yeah, kid yeah, down the stairs. Still use the baby gate. Don't get me wrong. Use the baby gate. <laughs> we use it too, but they- We're they, not advocating tossing children down staircases. They have slipped down a couple steps because they were trying to crawl up really quickly out of anyone's view and they- took a tumble but they were always fine afterwards or my son would fall down the front steps and then get up and walk away because you just did a perfect roll down each step and just was like nothing happened i'm fine but keith what you're (laughs) what you're what you're lying laying out and and i think this is the underlying point is that you also have to allow space and mike you were saying this too for the child to fail Right. You know, some some spaces are a little more dangerous than yes. others. And, and I'm not saying you should set that up. I mean, accidents happen, unfortunately. And in like very, said, involuntary yes. research <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and certainly uh, walking away uninjured in certain circumstances is, is very fortunate. But it's OK to allow children to have to, you know, fail a little bit. And under relatively controlled circumstances. And it's also okay to keep your child from being a menace to society in the restaurant or, or wherever the case is, at least to some extent, at least try, make some effort. <laughs> so. I, I, I agree. Now, I think what's not okay. Go on. What's not okay is for you to come from a position of anger and try to discipline your child. And I think that is the line that I personally draw for me. So that can be challenging a, to be fair. That can be challenging. And so as a parent, when I was angry or I, I haven't been with this guy, he's too small, but with my own sons, if I, if I was angry, I would literally walk away and I would say, I need you to go to your room. I need you to sit down. I will be with you when I'm done being angry. And, um, and it worked for me. I had to do that. And, and I'm not, I'm, I'm going to tell you, I, you and I probably divert slightly here. I'm not a big believer in actual physical corporal punishment unless the situation warrants it. And I think if, if I were to reflect on the 14, 13, 14 years where my kids, I might've spanked the oldest one eight times and the youngest one, maybe twice. I mean, it just didn't happen very often. And if you were to argue that I shouldn't have spanked them all, I wouldn't have argued with you if you said I didn't spank them enough. Well, you didn't know my kids, so I probably spanked them appropriately in both cases. But I, I found as a parent, corporal punishment was most effective when it was used rarely, if that makes sense. So I, uh, I'll, I'll be very honest. I sit in on a, on a very... Uh, uneasy fence about the topic of corporal punishment. Um, and this, this goes between uh, in the, the household and 
the societal version of it as well, um, both when it was okay in schools to what, you know, the modern version of it would be, I guess, torture uh, or, or death, you know, as a form of corporal punishment. And, you know, a lot of this is, it's the extreme versions of stuff, but there is a, re- a there's a relationship in the attitude about it. And it's, it would be nice that there, I, that we could just say, and there are plenty of people who feel perfectly fine taking the position. It is never okay. And I'm not going to tell anyone they're wrong with that. I'm not sure that I have that same conviction. I think there are times where as a child of a certain age and circumstance, there are no words that are going to necessarily, uh, you don't sit and debate with a, with a two-year-old when it's something that's really, really serious. That doesn't mean you all circumstances are to be handled with the back of a hand by any means. Um, but I do wonder sometimes if a little too much chit-chat is happening and it's not really getting the message across in a way that's going to be lasting. Um, and I'm just saying I struggle with the idea. I'm, I, I, as do I. And, I, and I struggle world, with the thought. Um, in the world of foster care, corporal punishment is a non-negotiable. You of, can't course, of course, period, of course, of course. And, and, uh, and, I, and I think that's not unreasonable. I, I'm not advocate. I'm not saying we should be beating children. And, and, oh, and, and the fact that I just said the word beating is a problem because I also think there's a difference between a well just not justified, but a well-warranted um, singular smack on the rear, rear end when a line has been crossed far too seriously and abuse. And I think those Great. there are people who think all forms of, of, of any kind of, of uh, corporal punishment is abuse. I don't agree with that. And, and any, I, I know some friends are going to hear this episode who I'm going to be receiving some notes about when I, they hear me say that. But I'm sorry. I don't think that it is all a form of abuse. That's my opinion. Let me be clear about well, that. And, and we're in a space where you're allowed to articulate an opinion that may or may not be popular. But uh, there I'm- can be a fine line, however, between reasonable corporal punishment, uh, as I see it, uh, and abuse. I, I will admit that, that that is a fine and movable line. What is reasonable for one child may not re- be reasonable for another. What's reasonable for one parent may not be reasonable for another. And, and so I'm not saying there's any black and white on this topic at all. Um, agreed. Agreed. Now, my youngest son probably would have never needed corporal punishment in hindsight. He, he just was that kind of kid. You know, he put himself to bed. He cleaned his own room without being asked. He was just that kind of kid. And and honestly, I could have given him a stern talking to and had the same result because he that's all he needed. Mm-hmm. Uh, my oldest son was a little more headstrong and was apt to behaviors that endangered others from time to time. On mm-hmm. rare, not often, but on rare occasions. And those had to be corrected in a expedient manner. Could I have done it without corporal punishment? Perhaps. Perhaps. I, I, I don't know. I'm not going to argue with anyone about this uh, because I, I don't know that I was perfect in this regard. But if you're endangering someone else, I need to correct that immediately. Or, or yourself. Right. You know, or yourself. So, and there is a so, point where I think words have lost meaning. Right. You know, and, I smack your hand because you're getting ready to touch the stove. I'm not doing it because I'm mean. I'm doing it because I don't want you to live with a burn for the next three days. <laughs> and, and, and I would also argue that if if my 
reaction is to smack your hand, it's because I have already used the words to the point where I feel you're not, they're not getting across anymore. I've said, don't go near there. I don't, whatever it is. And you're continuing to not uh, f obey the words. Now we need to try a different strategy. And this is where some will legitimately say, well, then just you remove the child from the room. You don't necessarily this, that, and the other. I don't know. I, I, I can't say that I, I, like I said, I'm on the fence with this issue. Here's, here's another reason why I'm on the fence with the issue. I don't think it is the wrong thing to have happened that corporal punishment was removed from the public school system. Okay, I, I I agree that that was probably in the in the in this in its substance the right choice, and there were certainly opportunities that I'm sure children were receiving an abusive approach from you know a teacher or a administrator that had a problem. However, and Mike, this is where I'm going to prevail upon your years of experience as an educator. Um. I feel that when I've done my reading and research, there is a hard-to-ignore correlation on the timeline between the point where teachers lost the authority to definitively put a, uh, a discipline in the form of corporal punishment, if it was necessary, on a, on a student, and the decline of the relationship between students and teachers and by proxy parents as well. It seems like there is a not ignorable correlation in that timeline. When you look at the nature of, you know, a, a, a student having no problem telling the teacher to go F off, you know, if, if the teacher has said, you can't talk in my class or turn off the phone or whatever it is nowadays. Am I off, am I off in left field here? I have to, I have to qualify my answer. And I'm I'm sorry I have to to go through these terms, but I think we need to understand a few things about my experience as an educator. Number one, it was an inner city school. I, I think in my ten years of teaching, I taught one white kid, one. Um, so my my students were predominantly African American. I had some Hispanic students from time to time, but I think ninety five percent, ninety six percent African American school. Uh, and and I'm gonna talk about some cultural issues. And, and since this is not a safe space, I'm going to just be quite candid. Teaching in the black community is not the same as teaching in the white community. And I only know this anecdotally because I, I talked to my peers who taught in white schools. So the support educators get in the black community is without question, amazing, amazing. Uh, I, I knew all the local pastors. I, I knew extended family. I was invited to church to attend baccalaureate ser services. Uh, I, I, I always had a resource in that community, in the community I taught in that I could use to help maintain discipline in my classroom. And, and quite honestly, and this is not bragging, but my reputation was such in the community. If you walked into my classroom, it was perfectly quiet if that was the appropriate behavior at that time. You could hear a pin drop in my classroom many times. To the point where when they would do the tour of the school, they would bring guests in to my classroom. And so I, I think that there was a change in behavior in schools and teachers who were not creative 
probably to this day still struggle with that. Uh, but I, I would hear about this quote, bad kid that I was going to get next year. And he wasn't a bad kid in my classroom because my reputation was such that he knew he couldn't do that. And, and I think it did the loss of corporal punishment meant that good teachers had to be more creative. And I, I will be honest, I called, I had everyone on speed dial who I knew I could reach out and touch a child with. So if little Charles was misbehaving in his class and I knew mom wasn't going to take care of, but I knew that pastor Jones was going to take care of it. Guess who I called? I called pastor Jones. He would deal with the situation. I'll tell you a quick story. If we, if you don't mind, please. I had a young lady who who showed up one day and she didn't have her homework and we'll call her Jane. And I said, Jane, you know, you need, you need to bring your homework. So I need two homework assignments tomorrow. Day two comes, Jane still doesn't have her homework. I said, Jane, no homework. Tomorrow's your last chance. Three strikes you're out. Day three comes by. Guess what? Jane did not have no homework. I immediately took out my cell phone in front of class, dialed her grandmother's number and said, Mrs. Smith, Jane has shown up today for the third time with no homework. All I heard on my phone was click. <laughs> Five minutes later, guess whose cane is banging on my door? <laughs> and so they go out in the hall. Grandma deals with it. Jane comes back in my classroom, maybe a couple tears on her face and apologizes for her misbehavior and came in on day four with all four homework assignments. So, I, I mean, by the yes. way, guess what grandma was not afraid to do? Oh, grandma dealt with the situation and I did not go out there to watch on purpose because there are certain laws. <laughs> I, 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 I will just simply say, yes, I think discipline has degraded in schools, but I think creative teachers are no different today than they were in the 1960s or 70s and, and or the 50s. And, and I'll be honest, growing up and I grew up in a different era. I don't remember a whole lot of corporal punishment growing up in school. I, I just knew that if we misbehaved, it was going to be dealt with accordingly. But I think in, uh, in an odd way, you're, you're actually making my point. Part of the reason that you were able to, part of the reason, without diminishing your own creativity and, and, and professionalism, part of the reason you were able to fall back on creativity and professionalism is because that element of the discipline you knew would be backed up. Of course. On the home side, on, on the community side. But you don't do that by demanding it. You do that by establishing a relationship sure. with parents. That's absolutely and, true. And and you don't I'll would be you honest. say would you say that relationship would be as and I'm gonna use the word easily, but I know it wasn't easy. But if you were teaching today in that same setting, do you feel you would have the same supportive resources coming from the community? Uh, in that particular community, absolutely. Uh, I think education educators are seen in such a high, high regard in the African-American, inner city African-American community that you still continue. You know, the it, it, I, and I know I'm being a little halting here because I, I hate blowing my own horn, but if I get called Dr. K, I know typically who it is calling to me across the store. It's one of my student, former students or one of their parents. And it's not a title I demand. I know we tease about it here on this, this podcast, but it's not a title I demand. It's a title that people who respect my work as an educator use out of respect, I would say. Mm -hmm. And 
So, and, and, you know, my wife still teaches in the same school that I taught in, and she's been held in very high regard. And we have been stopped many times by former students and parents of students and, and told what a huge impact we had on their lives. And, and I, I think that does exist still. I think what's happened, though, is a lot of teachers are afraid to command respect in their classroom. And they're treated disrespectfully because of that. I don't think it's a uh, there's there's any one pill that that cures this thing. I I grew up in a very different community, for example, than the one you're describing you taught in. And it was a predominantly white rural community, um, not, you know, banjos that are done, 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 kind of rural, but Pretty not close, but not far from <laughs> it. <laughs> well, not far from it, I suppose. And uh there was, you know, between the time I was young, which wasn't, you know, the 1950s or 60s, but I would say there's there was already a big difference uh, between the time that I was young in school and the time I was leaving school, you know, from elementary to high school. There was already a big shift that had happened there. And I, I think you're absolutely right. The support that needs to come from the community in the form of the home, the the actual circle, the church, whatever it is, the community has to support the school and its teachers and the, the administration, as well as the administration having to support the teachers and the community and so forth. It is a an ecosystem that is a delicate balance. And in certain communities, it in, in a lot of communities, I'm sorry, I, I think that balance has has shifted, um, perhaps with too much liberal thinking. I, I don't know what the the term of the, the issue is, but that support isn't there for I, the I teacher. I think the word you're looking for is coddling. I think a lot of kids today are coddled and, and it's not a liberal or conservative issue because there are plenty of liberal progressive parents who are very good parents who demand a certain level of discipline from their children. And there's some very conservative parents who don't and their kids act accordingly. I think that some parents coddle their child. And if Johnny comes home with an F on his paper, they want to know what the teacher did wrong. And there are some parents who may not be as well-educated, but when Johnny comes home with an F, they go back to the school and make Johnny redo the work for the teacher. And, 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 because they know education is important. And I, I've seen it too many times, Charles. I've seen it of parents who aren't well-educated, but they're going to make sure that- They value. They, yes. have, they have a sense of value of, of the education. And, and, Often because, and this touches on something we talked about in, what was it, last week or the week before, where, you know, even if you didn't have it, you under, you respected it and you wanted to strive to to if not get it for yourself at least have it for your children that they would be in a better position than you were and now i, I it seems like there's a lot of argument well i didn't need that to and i did fine so what do you need you know whether it's college or whatever it is and there's more nuance in that conversation too but the coddling and it's coming from both the home and the community and, and permissiveness and, and within the schools. And then, you know, administrative, this has become a political thing too. So now, you know, if a teacher actually demands that the children be quiet in class, well, no, they're, that the, you're stifling them. You're not allowing them to be, you know, individuals and, and, and whatever it is. 
And so now the teacher, and this I think is a contributing factor why teachers are saying screw it. <laughs> I mean, we have. No, I, I, I think the average lifespan of a teacher is three to four years now. I mean, think uh, about that. That's that's incredible. You mean career span, right? Yeah. But in my humble opinion, I think educators may be single handedly the most significant uh, uh, contributing part of, of, of our entire country. I mean, I would I would put an edge, a teacher, in my humble opinion, right up there with doctors and and. I don't even know what else. I mean, the, 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 you're talking about the same thing. It's a version of saving lives. We uh, teaching how to live is as important as saving a life, as far as I'm concerned. And we don't value that the same way. And, I mean, all you have to do is look at the money we put towards a, a teacher's career relative to, you know, a football player. And yeah, I know, I said it. Promotion. <laughs> I said it. No, no, I, I and I appreciate the recognition. I think there are multiple factors here, but but to loop us back around. And this is a, this is going to be a two part show because there's so much more to unpack here. I, I agree. <laughs> I agree. We're gonna we need to go into this world of education specifically uh, regarding discipline, and and maybe that is a future episode we go into. And, and I'd love to hear Keith's uh, feedback when we get to that episode because he is an upper education or higher education, if you will. Um, but but I think again, it, it's about. It all starts with self-discipline. If I didn't have the self-discipline. No, as no, no, no. I'm going to disagree. What's that? If, you, if you're going to say it all starts with, you don't come out the womb with self-discipline. Well, true story. It's what is instilled in you by your parents. So when you get to a classroom and you know what proper behavior looks like uh, and you demand that of your students and command it from your students and they respect you, you get it. And, and I was told this when I first started teaching. You can't expect inner city kids to be quiet in the classroom. And that struck me as racist. And, and, and I'm just, you know, I'm a white guy. But to me, it sounded awful racist. And I kind of. Well, I believe it was Martin Luther King who talked about the soft bigotry of low expectations. Low expectations. And, and I kind of looked at the guy and said, watch me. Now, it didn't happen immediately. But once. I hit year two and my reputation started to, to go across the school. Yeah. My, my room was quiet when it needed to be quiet. It was loud when it needed to be loud. You were allowed to express yourself. You were allowed to argue with the teacher as long as you did so respectfully. And if, if, if you don't mind, I'm going to tell a story. Another one. Because I'm a teacher. <laughs> and you get stories when I'm a teacher. It's, I had a young man. We're ladies and gentlemen, him, it's story time with Dr. Connor. We're going to call him Mike because that was his name. <laughs> okay. And, and I immediately liked Mike because we shared the same first name. And, and Mike had suffered traumatic brain injury. He was incredibly bright, but because of the brain injury, uh, which was caused by seizures, by the way, he would not process quickly. Whatever he came out with was brilliant, but it took time. And so I was doing my national board certification, uh, which is a master teacher certificate. And I told my class, I said, I'm going to be out tomorrow. I have a substitute coming. I know what you guys do to substitutes. Don't do that to my substitute. If you do, there will be consequences. So I go, I miss a Wednesday. I come back Thursday. There's one referral sitting on my desk and it's for Mike. And remember what I said earlier about not doing things in anger. Mm -hmm. I said, Hey, Mike, you need to go stand out there in the hall because right now I am angry with you. 
And I'm not going to deal with you until I'm done being angry. And don't you go beyond six feet from that door. So I walk out there 10 minutes later. Mr. K, Mr. K, Mr. K, I can explain. I can explain. I said, you can't explain. You were a fool and you got caught. He said, no, no, I can explain. I promise. I don't want to hear it, Mike. No, no, please let me explain. And I said, okay, tell, tell me what happened, Mike. Well, well, I'll admit we were cutting a fool, but then that teacher disrespected you. I said, Mike, she doesn't know me. How could she disrespect me? Oh, she did. She did. She said, either you need, you need to straighten up and act right, or you need to get out of my classroom. And I said, unless you're a bald headed white guy named Mike, this sure as hell ain't your classroom. So, My point being is that I had such a relationship with my kids, my students, that they felt I had been disrespected and got in trouble for defending me with some poor substitute who probably didn't deserve it. But, but Mike, Mike was an indicator of, of what I had in my room. I, I had one of my students just reach out to me two weeks ago, wanted me to meet his twins. Um, yeah. You know, it's, these are about relationships. And when you have relationships with your own kid, where you want the best for him, as you do with Alexander, when you do with your nephew, as I do with your son or with your students, then discipline is an act of love and it's not an act of anger. No, absolutely. I agree. I I will say Mike was out of line talking to the substitute like that. He was. was. There was a part of me that was just a little bit proud of him, if you can get that. (laughs) I did tell him you get a zero for common sense, you get a hundred for loyalty, get back in the classroom and get to work. Mm. But but the point was he did disrespect the substitute and I did talk to his mother about it, but it was funny. Well, so the the thing is, the reason we're going on about this is – and, and we touched on this earlier on, is the things we learn as young people is what we move forward with as older people. As children, we take that into adults. I'm sure there's an exception out there to that rule, but for the most part, the what we take in as, as acceptable behavior, either as a personal standard or a standard from out put upon us, is what we take forward into our adults. And next week... Uh, I, I want to continue this conversation looking at what the expectations that have or have failed to be put on uh, the last, we'll call it 30 to 40 years or so from the 1980s, a good crossover point. What does that look like now that we're seeing those people, those young people in the in the working world? You know, either as Wyatt clearly has something to add to this uh, story. By the way, if anyone wonders, that's that's Mike's dog, Wyatt, in the background. And he's a welcome guest on our show. Um, and Mike has muted himself till uh, Wyatt hushes up, but that's OK. But I want to talk about what is the relationship that comes from healthy discipline or the lack thereof between the child and the parent, between the student and the teacher, that develops into the employee and the boss or the individual citizen and the society standards that are put upon them and how we deal with that and or what husband to his wife or or any other relationship absolutely absolutely and we did not intend this to be a two-parter it just turned out that way well because there's a lot to unpack here I, I agree so we already know what we're talking about next week so i think it's time to thank some folks and and, and i'm going to start by thanking you uh you are the brains behind this. Uh, uh, I wouldn't I just go that come far. Here. I just come here and look pretty. Uh, 
<laughs> and which is tough, by the way, on a microphone. But really, you, you're the one who picks the topics and, and you're the person who drives this. And I want to thank you. And, and I want to thank Keith. Keith. Uh, Keith, the man. He, we, we got to preview the first two episodes and they're very well done in spite of us. We hope you'll agree. We hope you'll <laughs> so, agree. So, uh, on, on, if you, you don't agree, other... if you don't agree, do direct all your comments to Keith, though. They're entirely on his shoulders. Well, <laughs> and, and they'll have to do it through our email address. What is our email address? Again? What is our email address? We are, uh, what are, where are we called? Civil Discourse TNSS. That's this is not a safe space. Civil Discourse at gmail. TNSS at gmail.com. Right. Send in and your so, your notes, your letters, your comments, your praise, your criticism, your con- condemnation, whatever it is. We want to hear it. And, and we definitely want to hear about discipline and, and your thoughts on corporal punishment. And we, we what was welcome, your experience growing up? What, yeah, we welcome we welcome all the opinions. And, and I know there's some other folks we need to thank. Who are they, Charles? Well, first of all, Sacred Heart University, of course, for supporting and providing a space for this to be not a safe space in, in studio here. Um the uh, School of Communication and the Arts, uh, Dr. Jim Castengay, uh, the department chair here, uh, Keith Zdrojovi, getting the thumbs up. I'm getting better each week, I hope. Uh, my co-host, the illustrious, the inimitable Dr. Michael Koniger, um, or Dr. Koniger, as we like to say. <laughs> God bless Tim. <laughs> and, and I think it's worth noting uh, the music that uh, opens our show and takes us out into the world. Uh, we happen to have the illustrious uh, writer and performer, at least in part, uh, with us here today. And I want to give him an opportunity to tell us about the ensemble that, uh, that leads us through in and out of the show. Go ahead. So it's called the Lazarus Trio. It's available from all your streaming services, and it is the brainchild of yours truly and Carl Groves, who's just this amazing musician based out of Nashville, uh, Tennessee. Uh, it's not country, though. <laughs> but anyway, and, and so I, I just want to thank everyone for allowing me just to take a few minutes to listen to it. It's some pretty thoughtful stuff, um, and it's very eclectic. That's probably all I need to say about it. And also... Again, I said it before, Charles, thank you for your your vision for this podcast and the ability for us to have a rational and civil conversation. So I think that's it, huh? I think that brings us forth. Tune in next week. Uh, More great civil discourse in not a safe space uh, coming your way. See you soon. We want a gay and we want you now. We want a gay. We want you now. We want a gay. We want him now. We want a king. We want a king, and we want him now. Like all the nations, we want to bow. We want a king, and we want him now. We want a king. We want a king, and we want him now. Like all the nations, we want to bow. We want a king, and we want him now. We want a king. of my home, snuggle the trust that'll keep us safe, subjects subdued by surrender.